Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Vodka Clock Podcast. I'm Amber Love, your host, and you are probably listening to this on iTunes, Stitcher, or at my site, amberunmasked.com. Thank you to the generous backers of patreon.com slash amberunmasked who get weekly cat stories ahead of everybody else. They make uh, this possible. They make my whole life possible right now during the pandemic. Um, and joining me today is a returning guest. Erica Schultz is here. Uh, she was, yeah, back a few months ago. And I'm so happy you're here. And I'm happy that you are doing such interesting work. Um, it makes me giddy when I <laughs> when I see your tweets. Um, Erica, amongst her roles in comics, um, she's teaching for one of my favorite places in the world, the Kubert School. So um, we're going to talk about her comics of 2020. Um, I don't think we can talk about anything that's coming up, but we'll talk about those and we'll talk about her her teaching work. So, hey, yay, Erica's back. Well, I thank you very, very much for taking the time to chat with me again. I mean, we always talk online and stuff, but it's it's always weird when you're trying to like, you know, coordinate schedules. And I know you have a lot of stuff going on. So I, I thank you so much for making time for me. Well, right now is Gus's nap time. So I literally... <laughs> I literally planned it around that. And Gus is a cat, if this is your first time listening. Um, I'm like, uh, you know, uh, I scheduled it for nine and I was texting, you know, cat dad, the butler, saying, saying, oh, it's from nine to 10 because Gus usually wakes up around 10 or 1030. And then he has to go on an adventure. Yeah. And then usually, yeah, usually we go on an adventure. Last night's adventure was at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, as yeah. As he had a mouse, second night in a row with a mouse, but the first night it was dead. So it was like a super easy, you know, midnight thing going on. And I just had to, you know, like eventually get the dead mouse away from him and throw it in the garbage. But this one was alive. And so we were, he had me running stairs, you know, like stadium stairs. And mind you, I'm like crawling at this point because <laughs> oh I'm like not awake and the stairs are steep and it's like, go up and down the stairs, end up in the dining room, which is a hard, cold slate floor. And I'm under the table and he's growling the whole time. And I'm like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, you're such a great boy. Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm like, now give mama the mouse. And and it was ridiculous. And I, and I have like a jar candle. And so that's what I use. So I like, eventually we were back up in the bedroom and I gave, I was trading him a treat. So I gave, you know, I gave him a treat. He dropped the mouse and I put the jar on top of the mouse and I didn't quite get it. Oh, God. So like poor little thing's head is sticking out trying to escape and I'm trying to shove it back in and then get the lid on. And then I'm outside in my pajamas walking up. And it was snowing last night too. It was snowing. So... I'm like walking. I must have looked like I, I don't know, like, like I was lost in, in a storm or something because <laughs> I'm there, you know, like crazy wild woman hair with a mag light that could be used as a weapon. And there's tracks, of course, going through the snow. So I'm like, I'm like taking pictures of the snow tracks. Like, oh, what's this? Who was this? While I'm carrying this jarred mouse and going up into the woods and letting the sucker go. 
uh, yeah so it came back fed the boy and gave him more treats and so now he's really sleeping and i hope he stays i might join him after this show. <laughs> you deserve a nap you definitely deserve a nap you've earned your nap good good so how is simon doing um simon is so in my office there's two heat registers there's one kind of like about three feet in the wall and then there's one like right on the the wall like at the base of the floor and simon pushes his entire body against the one on the floor to the point where like i'm actually afraid he's gonna like burn himself so now that it's winter time and the heat is coming on he is just living in this one corner of my office and um it's just it's ridiculous my office could be way warmer than it should be but there is a 17 pound dam preventing <laughs> uh most of the heat coming through um i have asked him many times if he would share and his response is usually Meh. <laughs> so uh yeah that's that's how simon is i mean it's funny i mean when we brought him home from the shelter he didn't utter a sound. He was so timid. He was so scared. And he's really come out of his shell. And he's really very, um, very demanding with AJ and I. And it's great that he has a personality at the same time. It's like, I don't want to be woken up at three o'clock in the morning and told that there's a skunk. I know that there's a skunk. There's no skunk in the house. If the skunk is not in the house, then we'll be fine. I smell it. You smell it. I get it. But, like, go into the basement then where you're surrounded by concrete and you probably won't smell the skunk. Don't, <laughs> don't wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning just to say, hey, hey, just so you know, there's a skunk outside and it smells. Yeah, I get it, buddy. I get it. He's like, human, human, there's some sort of biological attack. <sighs> and I learned that skunks only spray when it's, like, their absolute last resort. And it's not like they just like go around like pss, 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 spraying everything. It's right. their last yeah. resort. And then after they spray, they're like so exhausted that they have to find a place to hide because they have to recharge. So I was like, now I feel terrible for the little skunk because I know whatever happened, like they were like, man, this is like the worst thing I can do. Hopefully get this thing away from me. I do know that there's a couple of cats in the area. So I'm wondering if like the cat and the skunk kind of like went head to head. Um, Cause mm -hmm. we see on our security cam, sometimes we see this one cat, like um, always walking by our, our, on our front lawn. So I'm wondering if one of those cats happened or if um, you know, something like that, but I, I felt, I felt like so bad for the skunk. I was like, Oh, I hope and you found a good place to hide. Yeah, they are cute as fuck too. They're oh so god, cute. yeah, god, yeah. They're so they're like they're like cats. They're just they're mm -hmm. cuddly. They're like cats. They just have that more wedge shaped face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really adorable. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, so far Gus has never gone after one because they're usually out at night. Yeah, um, but he's been hunting a lot, and yet. Our mobile command unit is still riddled with mice. Um, the yeah, it was there were nests made everywhere in every possible cabinet. They were uh, they were getting things, to, and it was like, 
we're, we're not, we don't know what they emptied. Like, where did they get things that looked like insulation? I don't know if they trucked the stuff from the construction site and like, you know, to a little mouse, I'm trying to, I'm like, that must be like miles to them to, and then to build these, they get inside the, the most ridiculous tight places, like inside the drawers of toolboxes. Yes. And they'll like, collect like screws and, and, and like nuts and bolts and stuff. Yeah, like they shredded, one of them shredded like, you know, cardboard, okay, and, and manuals and stuff. But we don't even know what some of the stuff that looks like insulation is. But yeah, it's like there. So here in this, you know, these drawers of, of hardware. And it's like, but how did you even get in there, you little shit? Like how, like. They apparently, I don't know if it's true, but they apparently can um, dislocate their bones so they can get into a hole smaller than a pencil eraser oh wow that's like an octopus have you yes Yes. the move the the uh the videos where they've got like you put it in a jar and it gets itself out of a jar or it opens a jar i'm telling you octopi are going to be our new overlords yeah really they're brilliant and they need to, they need stimulus. So, yeah. you know, if they're not entertained and educated, they're going to, you know, take over things. Like They're going to be like, <laughs> you know what? I'm really bored. So I think I'm going to take over the world. It's like pinky in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. So there, so there's another subject for you to write about and include since you're closer to water. <laughs> well, I've Claire and I have already talked about the um, doing uh, Claire Connolly and I have already talked about doing the um, the Octmen instead of the X Men. It's basically like a school for octopi. Nice. I look forward and, to that. Yeah. So we have that. We have a couple of things that we discuss. And since Strange Tales actually was nominated for a Ringo Award this year for best anthology, we're like, wow. So what we're doing is kind of like legitimate now. Like we, we've been uh, we've been validated. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really cool. I mean, uh, you know, like these are the types of, of comics that would have been run off on photocopiers. and Yes. The, the like <laughs> legit old zines, like indie, yeah. indie comic cons that happen in the basement of churches and BFW halls. Yeah, exactly. And there, and now we have, you know, online distribution that makes it a bit easier, quite a bit yeah. easier finding, exactly. your, finding your audience. Um, and you know, and that's something since you've crossed genres, uh, uh, which I think all writers and, and artists have the freedom to do. I don't think anybody needs to be pigeonholed into just superheroes or just uh, fantasy or anything. So when it comes to establishing those fan bases, what's your, you know, what's your take on it? I mean, this is going to sound, I, and this might you know, upset people, but like, I write what I want to read. And, you know, I write stories that I think are enjoyable and are, um, and that I think people are gonna want to read and that explore characters and things like that. Um, And I guess it's kind of blind faith, but I kind of feel like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write something that I think is interesting that is, I mean, every story that I write, as silly as it is, makes you think. Um, 
And whether it's a beat you over the head with a message or it's, you know, something that's very sort of slight, um, it still has a bit of a message in it. Um, when it comes to finding a fan base, I mean, I've done stuff for Marvel and DC. So obviously, you know, people who love superheroes, like you said, they're they're going to, you know, anybody who likes Hawkman or Daredevil or whatever, they're going to go directly for those things. But once they're there, I say, hey, you know, I've got some different stuff and it's interesting and it's not like superhero based and it may not be, you know, in your wheelhouse, but give it a shot. Um, I think that when, when people use the term indie comics, they tend to think about, you know, self-distribution and things like that. But, you know, with smaller pubs that are putting out indie comics, it's really sort of broadened the base of what people would think of as indie comics. I mean, at first it was just basically like Image and Vertigo. Right. But now, I mean, like you've got smaller publishers that are putting out indie comics and that's all that they do, which is great. Um, and even publishers that do license work like IDW and Boom still put out creator-owned um, indie stuff. So I think that um, I think that there is there's a fan for everything. I mean, whether you have books that are you know all ages or you have books that are mature and adult, there there is a fan base for everything. Um, it's the difficulty is is finding that fan base, but I think that the internet has made it interesting, and I'm not going to say it made it easier because you still have to hunt for these things. But the internet has sort of categorized things, so like you can go to Reddit. Um, I don't go to Reddit, but I've I actually it's funny I don't subscribe to Reddit at all. But there's a great podcast called uh, Endless Thread. And they talk about Reddit a lot. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So like you could go to Reddit and the subreddit about indie comics and look at what the people are reading and say, hey, I've got a book like this. Would any of you like to give it a shot kind of thing? And you can start start building an audience through that. You know, like Facebook has groups. Uh, Twitter has lists. I think it is kind of thing. There's a bunch of Discord servers that you could join. Um so there are ways to to get your um, get your stuff in front of people. I also know that if you do, we we were talking off mic about like Kickstarters and stuff. If you do a Kickstarter, or even if you uh, support a Kickstarter, you know, after you go through the um, all the pages to put in your information, it says, "Hey, if you liked this Kickstarter, you might like this one." So I yeah, think that I get those in the email too. It's fairly helpful. Yeah, because it it's opening you up to a um, to a possible new creator or creators that you didn't know about. And we just, you know, together we just did a Kickstarter uh, for Insider Art with mm -hmm. Shelley Bond, you know, and um, that was a huge anthology that we did. Uh, it's something like two hundred pages. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and exactly. It's like nearly 300 pages. And so, you know, the it was going to be the Sh Shelley did something interesting, uh, you know, with it and the, you know, I guess, deciding amongst the editors that um, it would be the only time it would be printed. Yeah. You know, the rest of the time it's, you know, it's on Gumroad. So. And and the money that we raised is going to help independent comic shops. 
because obviously during the pandemic and depending on what state you are, things are shutting down again. Um, so, you know, even through, uh, through something like that, through an anthology that had so many different artists, so many different writers, um, so many different styles of art and writing. I mean, um, I, I lettered uh, several stories. I lettered your story. I lettered several stories. And just going through the different stories that I was lettering, I was like, there are so many different art styles here. Like, oh, my God. You know, I would hope that someone who backs that book is going through and looking and saying, oh, wow, I really love this art style from this artist. Or I really love this writing style. Let me go online and check out whatever else they have. You know, let me let me check out, you know, the Farrah Weathers books. <laughs> you know, let me I hope so. <laughs> you know, let me check out something else that they've done. Um and and that's what I that's what I hope. And that's why I think anthologies in general are really good because they're never just one style and they're I mean they they usually have like an overarching subject like a horror anthology and this is the theme or for insider art, it was, you know, a house and you did different sections of the house kind of thing. Um, but there's usually, you know, a smattering of different types of artists, different styles, different types of, of writing styles as well. And I think those are important because, you know, you might uh, back an anthology on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or even at a convention, you know, when they come back, you know, you might turn around and get a um, an anthology for the fact that a creator that you enjoy is in it, but really open yourself up to the other creators and look at their stuff and really absorb it and think like, oh, wow, that, that story really touched me. Let me check out what else they have. Um, so it's like, you really hope that um, the domino effect, the sort of chain reaction, keeps people going and keeps people discovering the work. Um, and and there are so many incredible, talented uh, creators out there that don't always get, you know, a lot of work. And we were talking off mic about, you know, you know how how do you fund books? I mean, it's it's tough. Books are expensive. You know, you want to pay for an artist. You want to pay yourself, but unfortunately, sometimes you don't. Um, you know, it's it is tough, um, and I think a lot of it comes down to uh, to the love of the medium. Um, I mean, at comic conventions, I would always tell people on panels, you know, if you want to be in comics. You know, it, there's a difference between, you know, having a day job and, and working and, and having a steady income and then doing comics as not a hobby, but as, as something that you enjoy. But if you want to do this as a career, like quit your day job and do this as a career, you have to love comics more than money, than TV, than video games, than everything exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of sacrifices. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, there is. And, you know, and that's, I don't think everybody really gets it. And I try and explain that to the students at the Kubert School, because what I, what I always do is I say, look, you know, everybody calls this like the comic book college kind of thing. And yes, while we do uh, focus heavily on narrative art, one thing that I always try and push them to, because I also have a, um, I have a background in advertising. I worked in an ad agency for about 10 years. Um, 
I tell them, look, you know, we're, we're teaching you about narrative art, but if you're not working for Marvel or DC, um, you can still get storyboard work for an ad agency or animation or film. You can get character design work, you know, things like that. So <clears throat> I try and push them toward other avenues and to show them that the skills that they are learning, there's a universality to those skills. Um, and I also try and teach them like just general problem solving. You know, creators, one of the things that makes creative people like us interesting is that we don't look at problems the same way. You know, we tend to sort of like pick up the problem, look at it from a different angle, toss it up in the air, feel the weight of it, you know, really take in all the information before we try and formulate um, uh, some type of solution. And so what sometimes happens is you'll give someone a problem and say, okay, I want you to draw this, or I want you to give me a concept design for this. And they'll look at it and be like, oh, well, I don't get it. I can't do this. And it's like, no, you're just reading the words on a piece of paper. I want you to, to look at the words. I want you to absorb the words. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about it. I want you to think about, think about the, the feeling that you get when you think about this person, think about what their type, favorite type of music would be. If you met them in a cafe, what would they order? You know, like, would they want something to eat or would they order some like super fancy coffee or would it just be black? Like, what type of person are they? And, and get that and then distill all of that information and then create something that takes all of that into account. So some, are, are they like super fancy? Are they somebody who's like labels, everything that they wear is labels? Or are they something, somebody who everything that they wear is like secondhand? Or are they like me? Do they wear like the same clothes they wore in college? <laughs> you know, kind of thing, you know, like the same flannel Doc Martens, like kind of thing. Um, but like, what type of person are they? And, and that's really what I, I want them to do. I want them to think about the problem from every different angle. Yeah, there's, um, if you can find some templates and, and writing guides, you know, we just had uh, NaNoWriMo National mm -hmm. Novel Writing Month. And, um, you know, a lot of people offer stuff for free. I'll, you know, other people, you know, recommend books and uh, you know, the characters and world building, like you say, there are things that, you know, make up your, your book Bible that will never see the light of day. Like you said, you know, is there a quirky thing about them? Like, you know, they, uh, maybe they're colorblind, so their socks never match or something. Yeah. You know, there, there's just weird things. And, and I've gotten to know my characters better now that I'm working on book four um and things that I thought I had all worked out but I'm taking them through their lives and and letting them age and you know and the real world is still happening which is obviously affecting me and all of us so like in this book um Black Lives Matter comes up just uh, you know 
tangentially. Like it's not, there aren't protests or, or scenes or anything like that. But it's part but, of the environment. Um, but it's part of the environment, part of this one character's, you know, strong feelings. And she's like, you know, so I've been struggling. I'm like, do I, what is her relationship with this cop? How does she feel about this? You know, and um, so both sides, like, what's the cop character feeling? What's the, you know, the woman feeling? And uh, so it's affected by real life. Now, maybe if you're writing stuff on another planet, it, it might not come across that way. But there's usually stuff that's still based on something like how many books have been written that were actually based on the war of the roses, even though they take place on planets with swords and whatever. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet, same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there are these, these questions and if you're lucky, maybe you have somebody um, even online that can help you dig into that mindset Um you know, like uh, George O'Connor. Um, oh, I love George. <laughs> George O'Connor is such a great cheerleader. And if I start talking about something, he'll chime in and he'll be like, and then what? And then what? <laughs> and it's like, you know, next thing I know, in an hour, I have like a whole plot. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, but this brings up, you know, a nice segue into two of your latest projects you forgotten home which went through um 2019 into 2020 mm -hmm. um so to me it's still on my you know like favorite books of the year because uh you know it, it wrapped up this year um and then you just started the legacy of the mandrake and so these are books with fantasy elements but at the same time we've got stuff like there's shit going on in these families mm -hmm. that I want to know about. I don't know. I don't know what you can answer that, um, you know, especially about Mandrake. Well, Forgotten Home, I mean, it's been out. The collected edition came out in June, July. So, like, I can't answer any questions about that. Because, I mean, I think, like, four months, the statute of limitations on spoilers is is up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but um, Ma Legacy of Mandrake, the third issue just came out yesterday in print. Um, I, th I want to say digital will be up um, this weekend um, and um, on Comixology. And the fourth issue doesn't come out until next month. So I can't, I can't, uh, you know, spoil that. But and if and people don't know this because uh, I've like been banging the drum, but not everybody knows this. We have a zero issue for Legacy of Mandrake. Um, that is it. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a one and done, but it gives you a primer on the character on her, on her relationships and on her, um, just on her personality. And it's free. It's on comiXology. It's absolutely free. It's the legacy of Mandrake zero issue. And it's an oversized issue. It's a 32 page issue. Yeah. I noticed that it was much longer. Um, and the artist credit on that was different. Was it written like at such a different time that you, or did he just get busy and you had to go with somebody else? Um, the artist credit on that, we, because it was a longer issue, we wanted to sort of stagger the art. Um, so I was actually writing the zero issue and issue one simultaneously. So um, once the, so 
the, I started writing the zero issue and within like a week I was starting on issue number one. So they kind of wanted to get these done simultaneously. So they said, okay, we're going to make the decision to use two different artists. Uh, Diego Garibaldi is doing uh, issues one through four and Lucas Romero is doing, uh, did the zero issue. Okay. And um, I mean, they're, they're all part of the same um um, Alterna Comics is the uh, Alter Comics is the uh, studio that so they all work out of the same studio. They all have the same art director, but um, their style is a little bit different. Um, but you know, like the aesthetic in terms of the colors and like the worlds and stuff are all pretty much the same. Um, but they had um, they had Lucas working on the uh, on the zero issue to try and get that out because we wanted that ahead of issue one. Um, and like most comics, I mean, um, if you've never done like comics production or worked on a monthly issue, you really want to make sure that before you go into previews that you have a bunch of comics that are uh, already in the can. You want to make sure that they're already done. So if you're doing a five issue series, you want to make sure before you go into previews, you have at least two issues completely done. So we wanted to sort of give Diego a head start on things because we knew that uh, the zero issue was only going to be digital. So, you know, we could sort of throw it up at any time. Um, but yeah, I mean, the zero issue gives you like a good primer into Mandy. And again, the story is a one and done. And we actually reference the zero issue in issues one through four. But if you haven't read the zero issue, it's still, the story still makes sense. We still explain what happened um, and any of the connections. Um, in in uh, issues one through four. Yeah, I noticed they're like the nice little old timey editor's notes. I love yes. those. Yes, yes, I love those. I'm as so seen, as okay. seen in, in issue zero, or you know things like that. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> as seen in Spider Man number sixty eight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so with um, uh, actually with both of these stories with Forgotten Home. And with Mandrake, we've got the main characters are young women. And um, there seems to be some family tension, but also external tension. Like in Forgotten Home, there's this whole war going on. Um, but I, I love that in Mandrake, it's what we know of, without um, spoiling too much, what we know of is that there's like high school bullies. Yeah. Like, you know, it's high school like drama. So, high, like it's so relatable. Yeah. You know, Degrassi with magic. <laughs> well, you know, I, that's actually a really good way to put it. I haven't thought about that like that. Thank you. Um, it is like, because look, you and I, you and I were both teenage girls. Like we sure. know that um, every little thing is a big deal. You know, yes. from a broken nail or like losing your earring backing in the middle of the day to um, <clears throat> to like breaking your ankle at a track meet. You know, it's it's all a big deal. Everything is nuclear when you're a teenage when you're a teenage girl. And um, Mandy's mom really has high expectations for her. And not because she's like one of these like, you know, 
browbeating moms like you need to go to college you need to do this but mandy's mom's like look i didn't get a chance to finish college um i want you to have an opportunity you know you have these abilities and i don't want you to rely on them to the point where you get lazy but i also don't want you to ignore them like mabel mandy's mother is trying to help her daughter find the sweet spot but you know, at 17, everything is, is, is an extreme. There's no, there's no middle ground. And we see Mandy really go through that. We see her have issues with um, her best friend, LJ. And it's just a matter of like, I want to do this. These are the things that I, that I want to do. And these are the things that I should be able to do. I mean, like, hell, I've got magic. I have an advantage. Why am I, you know, why, why aren't I doing everything that I can to use this advantage? But, you know, using that magic comes with a price and, you know, she, you, you have to walk before you run. And she's the type of person where she's like, no, I've got magic. I'm going to try and and do this, even though I have, you know, there's 17 steps to do this. And I literally only know one, you know, so she's very impetuous, but she's very energetic. And deep down, her heart is always in the right place. Um, And even though she can be like frustrating to her mom and everything, and her mom's always like, oh my God, this child, you know, um, but she's she's a good person and and she does have a very loving relationship with her mom and i think that that's so important and it's interesting because i had written so much forgotten home before uh comics LG originals even greenlit it um and the only thing that really changed were like the last two issues i had, i made some um some changes to them um but I'm not going to say that Joanna, the character from the teenage character from Forgotten Home is like a proto Mandy, um, but it working on Joanna actually helped a great deal sort of get me back into the mindset of the teenage girl and how, you know, frustrating things are and how, you know, you you have this sort of, well, my parents don't know anything um, they don't understand me yet. They're the ones with all the power. You know, that's like a real sort of strange paradox when you're a teenager. This and idea it's time of when it's like that doesn't yeah. matter what's trending, what era or anything. That's like, oh, that's always going to be a thing. Yeah. Like you don't get me, mom. You don't get me, dad. But and there and, you know, and I remember my parents literally saying, like, I don't care if you think that I don't understand you you're still not going out at 1030 at night on a Tuesday. <laughs> oh, I've, we've had many uh, yelling matches about that and whether my uh, spandex mini skirt was too short. Yes, yes you, you're not wearing a thing. You're not wearing a shirt yeah. with over the shoulder, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and, and it's just, and, and you think like, they just don't get it. But because they don't get it, it's still not fair that they have all the power. So, I mean, there really is a sort of like tumultuous, like just constant brewing of, you know, paradoxes inside a kid. Um, and and like I said, I can't, you know, say what it was like to be a teenage boy, but I know as a teenage girl, it definitely was that. Um, my nephew's now 16, so I was going to ask him and be like, okay, tell me, tell me a little bit about what's going on in your head. 
um, you know, consider this yeah, R&D. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't really have that. I get to, you know, I'll, I'll maybe like throw some questions over to Natalie and uh, Natalie Hoyce. And she has a, a podcast called Bones and Bobbins, which I highly recommend you guys. It's amazing. Um, they talk about crafts and um, dead things. So it's cool. <laughs> Um, uh, but like Natalie's got teenage girls and, and I'm like, I, I don't even know how to write this, like their languages. I see stuff on Twitter and, and I constantly have to look it up. Oh God. Like, yeah. and, and I'm like, and I generally follow people my age or older, but there are some youngins in there and by young, and <laughs> I mean anybody under 40. And I'm like, I don't know what that fucking abbreviation means whatever i have to look that up i have i have urban dictionary bookmarked all all the time yeah (laughs) and even in like even in my classes sometimes i'll just be like yeah i really have no clue what the hell you kids are talking about because the students that i have like the vast majority of them are like 18 to like 20 you know Mm -hmm. there's a couple of outliers that are like you know 25 but the vast majority of them are like 18 to 20. And I'm just like, yeah, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, but okay. I, I did get like, um, oh my God, you listen to the same music my dad listens to. <laughs> and my only response is, well, then your dad has a good taste in music. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, I, and, you know, and being a teacher, you're, you know, you're just like, well, I'm your parent away from home anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell them constantly. My, uh, you know, I say, I was like, look, you might think that I'm on a power trip and maybe I am, but uh, I hold this great book in my hand and I also hold whiteout in my hand <laughs> and I can change your grade on a whim at any time. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> do your work, damn it. Um, and I've been, I've been sort of wielding that, that, that power a little more since we're coming to the end of the semester. So I'm like, so if you owe me anything, any assignments, get them in, because I know you don't want to work over the the holiday break and I don't want to grade over the holiday break. So, you know, and, and these are what year, because I know that at certain point there's burnout. This Kubert's a three-year school. Yes. Kubert's a three-year school. Um, I teach uh, second year students and I teach third year students. My second year students, I teach um, story adaptation. So we talk about narrative storytelling. We talk about um, breaking down scripts. Uh, we talk about coming up with stories, but for everything that they do there, they always have a prompt. So I'll give them a subject matter and then they'll tell a story about that. Um, For the third year students, uh, they draw very, very little in my class uh, for third year. Um, They do literally like for the entire year, not just semester, the entire year, they do a cover and they do a character design and that's it. Um, Everything else is um, academic theories on storytelling, heroes, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. We talk about psychology of characters. Um, it's very, it's more academic. It's more, um, theoretical. And then we have them, what I'm doing is, uh, I have them create a four or five issue story arc, uh, built around a character that they've created. And then they will script the first full issue. Um, And I tell them, you know, you have to write this script as if you are writing it for another artist. 
which means all the information that is in your head, you have to articulate on the page. Because if I don't read it on the page, it doesn't exist. And what usually happens with my, um, with my edits with them is I ask a lot of questions. So uh, if there's connective tissue that's missing, you know, they'll say, they'll make one statement and then make another statement. I'll say, but that doesn't make sense because this character just did this. You know, that's not a logical leap for this character. Um, we work very, very hard on uh, the, basically the three tenets of storytelling, which is plot, world building, and characters. So I make them, you know, you can start with a story with either of those three. You can either start with your plot, start with your character, start with your world. But whatever, whichever one you start with, the other two have to fit. So if you're starting with a character, you want to build a plot that is going to, that the character is going to be able to be challenged by, but also succeed. You have to build a world in which that plot is plausible, but also is going to challenge the character and fit with the character, uh, challenge not just their um, skills and abilities, but also their personality kind of thing. And it's, it's a very, um, it's a very fine balance. It's almost like a three-way scale. You know, you want to be able to, to make sure that like everything balances and everything feels like it's supposed to work together. You know, there's yeah. so many times. If that, that were, yeah, you want like the whole pie chart. You don't want like yeah. something dominating. And and it is. And I tell them, I'm like, look, I know that this is difficult. This is something that is difficult. Every single writer, even even advanced writers, this is this is the balancing act. But if you don't start thinking about it now, then you're not going to think about it in 20 years. Um, so, I mean, and, and like we said off mic, like I wrote kind of like a 30 page treatise on the, um, on my process on, you know, how I come up with the world, how I come up with um, the plot, the character and such. And then, you know, once you have all of that, using that as your information to then create your timeline, to create your outline and summary, to then create you know, your page breakdowns and then, you know, how many, uh, pa you know, pacing and things like that. So yeah, it's, it is a process. Um, and I know, and I can see some of them sort of like, oh God, this is like so many words. Um, you know, we that's just want to draw. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, cause I don't, I, I don't draw my own stuff, but I always feel like, oh, am I, am I adding like way too many words into a script? But if, especially if you're in the really draft stages of things and you don't know who the artist is going to be, then, then you don't know what they're capable of. Exactly. Like other, you know, like maybe you need like a glass of water on a nightstand for a specific clue towards something, or maybe you're just trying to describe hey, this is what, you know, this person's bedroom always looks like. There's always like, you know, a, a, an ashtray filled with butts and there's always a glass of, of water and, you know, a bottle of pills or something. Like, you know, there's there's things that that you will eventually develop that relationship with somebody. But, it, you know, until you know, you have to be so specific. And, and uh, I mean, we, we, we talk about things like Chekhov's gun, you know, this idea of yeah. if you introduce a gun, then somebody to needs it. to get shot, you know, so, and, 
and I'm trying to, and this is something that every creator um, struggles with this idea of like, every idea is precious. Not every idea is precious. Um, And And I'm one of the people that argues Chekhov's gun. I'm like, some people just might carry guns, you know? (laughs) Well, well, that's the thing though. But if that's part of the personality of the character, then, then that makes sense. So if it's part of the character's personality, whether it's their, um, whether they're a detective or a, um, or, or a cop, or there's somebody who sort of grew up in a rural area, whatever, and that's part of their personality, that's one thing because that, then that gun makes sense. But, you know, if you're reading something and there's all this stuff going on and all of a sudden a character pulls out a gun, it's like, wait, where did the, where did they get this gun? Um, Where in their character development would it, was it seeded that they would own a gun? Like, is it just, they just like yanked a gun out for no reason? Like, come on. Um, so it really does. It, I, I try and, and get them to make all the connections because all the connections are in their heads. Um, right. And then they have to explain it to me. And that's the, that's the biggest problem that everybody has. This is this idea of articulation. And, you know, it happens with any editor that you work with, you know, they go through and they're like, okay, but I don't understand the connection between this and this. Oh, well, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, you can explain it to me, but you have to put it on the page. Um, and, and I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to letter Alan Moore. So Alan Moore, it was an eight page story. It was like a 30 page script. Um, and, <laughs> notorious, and, notorious for that. And, and it was, it, when it was wonderful, um, it didn't need to be that long in my opinion, but I'm not one to criticize somebody like a master, like Alan Moore. So I try and tell them like, look, you can go into explaining things but you don't have to go crazy. And that comes down to picking your artist. Like who, you know, I, I've noticed a lot of people, a lot of writers will be like, oh, I like this this person's Instagram. I want to work with them. That's that's not that how you go to pick a partnership. You have to not just look at like somebody's Instagram and like two pinups on their Instagram. You have to turn around and say, okay, what type of personality does this person have? Do they understand the story? Have they ever done anything in this genre before? Um, if they have, great. If there's somebody who's done a lot of work, great. Um, what a, what it is, is it about this person that is going to elevate the story? Because every person that you bring onto the team, you want them to elevate the story. So you start with a good script. You want to find an artist that is going to take that script and elevate it. You want to find a colorist that's going to elevate the artwork. You want to find a letterer that that's going to pick a font that really uh, fits with the tone of the story and also have like really good sound effects and things like that. Like you want to make sure that every person comes on elevates it. And I've seen a lot of like really good stories with good artists, but they're wrong for that story. And oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, uh, I think sometimes that helps and other times it, it hurts it. Like, um, I was reading Goosebumps this week and now plot wise, I'm like, 
this is a scary book. <laughs> but if it had if it hadn't been drawn cutesy for children, and it was say it was drawn by somebody like Derek Robertson or something, like it would have been <laughs> horrifying. You know, there would be intestines and things just like hanging from the chandelier. But, um, you know, so getting getting the right people for your target is is very helpful. <laughs> exactly. Like you don't want to have you know somebody who draws. You know, you don't want somebody who's, who draws like explicit horror for yeah. a Goosebumps book. You want there to be a child aspect to it. And that's the other thing is like knowing your audience is important too. Um, I think all ages books are great. Um, I think that there are some books that depending on how they are written and the tone could go from like YA to even adult. Like it depends. Mm-hmm. Um but like that's where as as a creator and as a creative team you need to sort of sit down and have that conversation like who like obviously you want other people to be able to read the book you don't want just you know 18 to 35 year old people you know whatever that like standard demographic is but you also want to not um antagonize not antagonize that's the wrong word not, not alienate any demographics you know mm-hmm. like forgotten home i think could be read by anybody, but we do talk about war. We do talk about death. I wouldn't give this book to like a seven-year-old. I would give this book to like a 13-year-old or 14-year-old. And certainly I'd give this book to anyone older than that. Technically you could consider it all ages. I personally would because there's no nothing like super explicit. Like you don't see people like disemboweled or something, but I think the subject matter is maybe a little, a little dark and a little uh, too, uh, too mature for somebody so young, you know. For well, yeah, and the reading comprehension of, you know, of the dialogue and what's happening is part of the target. Yeah, exactly. And and you have somebody like the queen is she is very she speaks very formally, and she speaks using all the SAT words I know. <laughs> <laughs> So, so like you want somebody to be able to understand what she's saying. Um, but I, but I would be perfectly comfortable giving that book to like a 14 year old or 15 year old to read. Um, because yes, there's, there's blood and there is, um, you know, some, and, and there are, there are, and I don't consider it like to be crazy but there are some people that say, well, you do have sexual situations in it. Yes, we, I have um, Tredera's polyamorous uh, pansexual and um, Carol is bisexual, but there's nothing super explicit there. Yeah, you're not having, there's like nobody's having a, a role in the, you know, in the. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no crazy orgy, you know, it's yeah. like, and, and it's, and, and it part of the, ca- the character, um, personalities is this idea of this like playfulness and like flirtatiousness and things like that so it's not like overly sexual but it's obviously implied and it's obviously there um so i mean i i think that there there is such a fine balance in 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 writing like a good book and that's why like there are that's why I think like some people are like, oh, this book is the best or, you know, this book is the best. It's like, yeah, there are a lot of great books out there. But there are also a lot of damn good ones um, that might not get 
absolutely everything right. And guess what? That's okay. Because as creators, I think we are consistently learning. You know, we're learning different techniques. We're learning, we're, we're jumping into different genre, you know? And, and when you go from like working on one genre to going to another, there is a learning curve. You know, there's going to be a learning curve no matter what. Um, but I think that, I think that, you know, you have to challenge yourself as a creator. And, um, and I think that, you know, if you really believe in something, you really believe in a story um, because you think that other people are going to enjoy it and that you yourself would enjoy it, do it, go for it, you know? And even if, even if nothing happens to it, even if you just write it in a, in a notebook for yourself, still do it. I think it'd be a good exercise. And, and you, you mentioned, uh, NaNoWriMo, you know, a lot of people will do that, never have any intention of doing a, um, of actually doing the novel, but going through that exercise, I think is really good. I think it's really important. It is. And especially at a certain age where, um, you know, when you're not in school anymore, it's like homework, but it, you know, so it keeps your brain going and it's, you know, like you said, it's more some, it's more than just a creative process. It can be really therapeutic. Like, um, you know, like one of the the things that I, I jotted down that I wanted to talk about was um, that there's a some commonality in your characters across stories of younger people, ha- you know, like you were talking about, you know, moms that are like on your case, but even stronger than that, where there's a power, power dynamic issue of someone much older being perhaps not a great influence you know either either a downright evil influence or we're not sure yet what's going on influence like in 12 devils dancing it was just like yeah. bananas um <laughs> you know so like here in in legacy of mandrake the uh you know mandy is just like she's at an impressionable age yeah. And, you know, and I don't know what, like, you, I mean, you, you've at least told us that her mom is a very loving mom. But in, in what I've seen so far, her mom's like really, really distracted, staring in a crystal ball. And I don't know what she's doing. She just doesn't seem to be parenting. So there's, you know, the magic mirror seems to be taking over the role of a parental figure. And it's, starting to feel scary yeah yeah she mandy is at is at an age where like mabel has her own her own uh issues and she wants to keep she trusts mandy to do the right thing but i think there are times that mabel trusts mandy a little too much and i think that as much as mandy doesn't want to admit it she does need the guidance which is why she goes to the mirror she goes to Alra in the mirror because he seems to be just overflowing with information. You know, anything she needs to know, wants to know, he's the first person who will happily give it to her. Um, and yes, there is a manipulative aspect to that relationship as we're starting to see. I keep like remembering, I was like, wait, wait, what issue are we on? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is sort of a manipulative relationship to that um you will learn though that the reason why 
Mabel is so preoccupied is because there's sort of an overarching idea of her wanting to keep Mandy safe from someone. So that's why Mabel is, is distracted um, because she feels that there's a, a, a more important thing that she needs to protect Mandy from. Um, and she hasn't told Mandy that. And that's, that becomes sort of a bone of contention, this idea of like, well, why didn't she just come out and tell me that there was this danger on the horizon? Um, and, and that where it, that's where it comes down to parents being like, well, I don't know if you can handle it and I didn't want you to have to worry about it. And, and all these other things that, you know, so many times parents will, you know, uh, keep information from their children because they feel like they're, they, the parents are doing the right thing by, by, you know, keeping this off the kid's plate. And then the only thing that happens is resentment builds. Um, and, and it doesn't stop the parents from trying to protect their kids, uh, but it also doesn't help when the kid finds out, usually through another source. And then it's like, that's when you have your big blow up. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that kind of tension always makes for a an interesting story, I think, um, because there's discovery, there's, there's mystery. It might not be, Hey, there's a murder mystery, but there's mystery. Yeah. There's mystery, there's discovery, there's, um, and there's drama to it. And I think the drama is important. You know, you need to have this sort of, you know, you need to have something happen that you need to have conflict. You need to have drama. Um, and a lot of times you'll find like great characters, incredibly interesting worlds, but like nothing happens. You know what I mean? Like there's no exploration right. of things. Um, and that's something that I, that I keep trying to, to sort of push some of the students, like some of them get so involved in the character building and the world building that it's like, okay, but then what happens? It's like, well, uh, it's like you have this fabulous world. You have these interesting characters. You've got to give them something to do. Um, and and that's, you know, I, I think there's also like a trend in storytelling now, um, especially with streaming services and stuff of sort of a slow burn that I don't know always sort of translates to comics um, especially since if you're, I mean, if you're publishing something yourself, then you can do as many issues as you want. But if you're trying to get a publisher to work with you, you know, publishers are usually looking for four to five issue series. Um, and if you're doing and a four, are, are, yeah, if there aren't enough sales, then they might just cut you off. Exactly. And, and you want to be able to pace something that if you're doing four to five issues, like you want to get to the meat of it. You know, you don't really want to go, you know, you don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole before, like, we really start understanding things and revealing things. And that's the idea of, like, you know, in every issue, you should ask two questions, but you should always answer one by the end of the issue. You know, um, you've got to, it, it's, it's a give and take. Like, you can't, you can't keep everything a mystery because by issue three, your audience is going to be like, okay, I haven't learned anything really. <laughs> so why, why do I keep coming back month after month? You know, so you have to give them breadcrumbs and you have to you know, like find like a good way of working through that. And none of this is easy. And I, and I consistently tell the students, like, none of this is easy. I know I talk about it like it's easy, but none of it is. 
Um, it's just a lot of it comes down to practice and a lot of it comes down to, you know, having, you know, going through the motions of organizing your thoughts. And, and I know in, in novel writing, which I've never done and, you know, novel writers like you are so damn brave because (laughs) I could not do it too, way too many words. Um, but novel writers, there's like the pantsers and the planners. Um, I'm a planner simply because I know how wild my machinations can run that I want to make sure that I have like a good coherent story because the people who are like the really good pantsers are the ones that make it all sort of tie up in a nice bow at the end. I know that I wouldn't be able to do that, which is why I have to be a planner. Um, so like, so I teach the students like a planning method and I'm like, look, when you're on your own and you're not having to do this for a grade, you do whatever you want. But, exactly. but in this class, you know, sorry, you're going to have to sort of use this method. Um, Especially if you're going to pitch it yes. in any of the, the medium, like you need to know your ending before even pitching. And that's, oh, God, yeah. that's what's a funny thing is when I wrote the uh, earlier Fairweathers books, um, I did it more of the Agatha Christie style. I did plot out my um, like high level stuff, what was going to happen, but I didn't pick my murderer until the very end. So that way I was constantly putting people giving giving different characters opportunities where oh it could have been that person oh it could have been that person and motives but with this um with this one i like i've had everything really locked down and uh, like a much finer outline where i you know like it's got to be this person and this person and you know and i need to get this person into this barn and and whatnot And that's the thing is like, you need, you need to find, you need to create the situation to sort of start the Rube Goldberg. Mm -hmm. You need to get them into that barn. You need to, you know, make them fall into that hole to discover, you know, the, uh, the tunnel that leads to wherever, um, And you have to find a plausible way to do that. Like accidents do happen. Yes. Coincidences do happen. But like, I always say like deus ex machina is not something to like write your stories on. Like don't fall back on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and this is like my own thing is like, I am a consistency like junkie. Like I will, this is one of the reasons why when, when I see TV shows go on for like, 15 seasons I'm like (laughs) it gets me because I'm like whoa 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 hold on we haven't seen like what they did in season 12 completely negates a rule a world building rule that they created in season six yeah I've caught that too and especially because certain shows once I like them I'll watch them a billion times yeah and then you're like whoa 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 hold on you know so um and especially like fantasy shows shows that deal with like supernatural topics and things like that um so for me i'm always like no 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 hold on like there has to be a reason you have to create a scenario in order to break the rule but you can't just like 
set up rules and then break them consistently because then you're you're sort of like breaking the trust of your of your um, audience. Yes, and that's a really big thing, um, especially if you're doing. I don't know about romance um, genre, but especially with with mysteries, is that you know you you need the trust you um, going in, and you need to keep it. Otherwise, they'll hate you and they'll tell you tear you apart. Like <laughs> we've seen of creators on Twitter that get completely blown off Twitter. Yeah, I I don't agree with any of that. If you don't like somebody's book. Just say, I really didn't like your book or. And you don't even have to tell them like, yeah. you know, like just you're allowed to voice it, put it in a review, put it in a blog post, go to Goodreads, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, you don't need to, you don't need to chase <laughs> creators off Twitter. Um, uh, uh, so before, before we go though, I have two questions. So one of them might be a, might be a bigger question, but we're recording this between Thanksgiving and, and the winter holidays. And, um, so some people consider this a really magical time. We're approaching winter solstice and in a lot of your, your stories, magic in uh, the fantasy, uh, style it, it takes place. So what, actually does magic mean for you? Um, I think that everybody has magic in them. I do. And whether that magic is a talent like writing or drawing or whatever, that's, that's your magic. Um, I think that if you practice um, Wicca or uh, other forms of uh, trying to um, enhance your magic, I think that you have a more um, openness and you have a more um, sort of like you, you open yourself up to more influence, to more uh, uh, stimuli, to create more. Um, but I think that, I think everybody needs to be, I'm not saying like everybody needs to join a coven, but I think everybody needs to really be open-minded about things. Um, and really sort of open themselves up to natural stimuli and to um, to sort of see what else is out there because you might pigeonhole yourself um, and you never know where your next influence is going to come from. Was that a sentence? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I do think, I do think people have a lot of magic within them. Um, you know, there are, to, especially to me, people like my friend, Neliza Drew, who's a, like, does math and loves math. I'm just like, uh, you know, there was this basic arithmetic problem going around that went viral and I, and I got it wrong and other people I talked to got it wrong. And we were just like, but this is how we learned it. And she's trying to explain this to me. And I'm like, this is just dumb like I just like, like math is not in my magic but your magic is creating these like mysteries and and you know and creating these stories when you go out with Ali and Gus that's your magic yeah yeah my my imagination is there and I'm glad that it's gotten better because I, you know, trying to, like we were talking about, you know, putting yourself into the teenager's shoes and trying to figure out what their problems are these days. Like, I have no idea what, like, little kids 
find interesting or, you know, unboxing videos. That's what they find interesting. Yeah. Like I just don't, I don't know anymore. So instead I'm just like, all right, well maybe, well, first of all, my stories have a lot of, you know, F bombs in them anyway. So even though they're cutesy and you know, they're still adult stories about cats solving crimes, but, um, but you know, hey, my cats swear as much as I do, in, in my opinion. So. Um, I I know I know Gus was swearing last night with the mouse yes. situation. Oh, he sure was. Yeah, he was growling at me. He was like, <laughs> Back the fuck off, human. He um, was very clear. Um, so then let's wrap up and talk about what our favorite things of the year have been since we've have talked about comics and we talked about ways to make them. Um, two comics I, I want to talk about. Well, one was the previous podcast uh, was with Jeremy Holt, who was the writer of Virtually Yours, mm-hmm. one of the best comics of the year. Um, but also Inkblot. I don't know if people have been following me on Twitter. Emma, Emma um, Kubert and uh, Rusty, what's his last Rusty, name? Rusty Glad. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. They, um, not only is it a brilliant book, but they create their book using the uh, what was called the Marvel method where mm-hmm. they draw, the, they draw the pictures first, like together and like, it goes back and forth between them. And then the dialogue goes in and I'm, that blows my mind. I'm like, I don't like dialogue steers me. So to me, it's just brilliant how they made it, but it's this um, amazing story about a magical black cat. That's not really a cat, but you know, <laughs> if you liked Blackbird, um, Jen Bartel, I can't remember who else was on that. Um, but if you like Blackbird, you would like you would totally dig Inkblot. And um, so then, of course, we have le- the legacy of the Mandrake and um, Forgotten Home. Don't forget, don't forget about those. So, <laughs> so what are so what are your comics or or TV, whatever you're into this year? Since it's been, um, you know, we've need more escapism than ever this year. This year, I've actually gone back to some, you know, some sort of like old, old standbys. So I rewatched all of Bob's Burgers, and I watch it every day. And, <laughs> it's my, and it's my therapy. <laughs> and now, um, now we're back on track. Like now, we're actually up to speed. Um, and I just started uh, Elementary. I had watched Elementary like the first season or two and then I'd stopped for some reason and I don't remember why so I'm starting elementary again because now that's on Hulu so um mm-hmm. those are the two things that I'm doing and you know and my my husband loves uh G.I. Joe and Thundercats and Transformers and I loved those as a kid too so um I will sort of sit in with my laptop you know while that's going on in the background and you know he's singing the theme song on the couch <laughs> um but yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much been my thing is is sort of like going to old standbys. Great. And um and that's, you know, because for me it helps to to just sort of like find some type of constant and I don't think there's that's I think one of the main problems is is like we don't have an anchor right now. Like nobody has like a real constant. Um because everything is so in flux. So if there's anything that I can find that's predictable in a constant just for the sake of like my own sanity, then like, I know that that, those things are predictable. Those things are a constant for me. 
Yeah. I mean, I uh, generally I'll put on Bob's Burgers after watching something stressful um, or t- just tense. Like I, I've had Longmire playing for the last couple of days. Yeah. But then, you know, come six o'clock, I put on Bob's Burgers just to play. And then when I want to go to sleep, it'll be like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. But then after the, the mouse shenanigans last <laughs> night, I had like YouTube has some channels where it's a black screen and it's just nice ambient music. Well, I had that playing for hours and I'm like, I'm still wide awake. <laughs> and so I just turned on uh, Prime and put Psych on and I'm like, all right, <laughs> we'll see how long I last through this. <laughs> just, I mean, just something to sort of like lull yourself back into, yeah. you know, some semblance of normalcy, if normalcy even exists anymore. Right. Right. I know for a lot of people, it's it's really different, um, especially with the homeschooling yeah. or the part, part-time stuff. Um, that's been a big challenge for a lot of parents who weren't, you know, they're not necessarily teachers. They don't really, you know, your kid's locked up in a room and you got to hope that they're paying attention. And there's this fight about, you know, even business-wise, whether people need to have their Zoom cameras on. And it's like, geez, it's kind of an invasion. Yeah. I mean, I know when I'm, when I'm teaching from, I mean, we've been doing remote classes. There's a certain amount of, um, well, we had to do it like emergency wise, uh, you know, like last semester, um, uh, for last year's uh, school year, there was like, I had this sort of weird idea. I was like, okay, I feel like my office is like my sanctuary, you know? So I feel weird having letting them into my my students into my sanctuary like is that crossing a boundary and at the same time it's like i feel weird seeing my students sitting at their dining room table or like sitting in their bedroom like that's that's kind of like a boundary you know that you're crossing kind of thing so it is it is kind of weird and i was teaching a class online yesterday and one of my students was like oh your studio walls are purple i was like yeah and, and like, there's a part of me that's like, do I want you to have that information? <laughs> you know, um, but it's, it's like, you have to, you sort of, it's, you have to make that concession right now, because there's really like no other thing that you can do. And my house is cut, like every wall in my house has some type of like artwork or something on it. So there's literally no room in my house that I could sit where there's not some type of sculpture or painting or, um, you know, photograph or something. So like every single wall in my house would be revealing. <laughs> we reveal something. Exactly. <laughs> I had to teach a couple yoga classes from here. And the only place I could do it was in the bedroom and trying to trying to angle a borrowed laptop, mind you, because I use a regular desktop computer so it's like trying you know trying to angle the camera so that uh, you know my bed wasn't really there like you could see the side of it but I was just like I felt so awkward with my bed I'm like this is from like my past if I wanted my bed and my camera that was a different life (laughs) like doing yoga no (laughs) but yeah it is it's really kind of weird how, how you almost have to like give up a bit of privacy to make things still work but um, like, like I opened the nightstand drawer, put all the pills in it, <laughs> all the, everything from the nightstand just gets dumped into the night. Yeah, exactly. Like I have 
so the way I have my camera set up, it's completely on one side of the room. And like all the junk that I have is like on the other side out of, you know, camera, camera, you know, view. That's, kind that's of exactly what I had to do. I was like, I had to like rearrange stuff and I'm like, all right. So if I'm teaching three classes, I'm leaving my room like this for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> because God forbid you have to do it on the fly. You don't want to miss something. Mm hmm. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a very weird situation in that regard. Um, Absolutely. So I agree with people who are, you know, like not thrilled about having their cameras on. Um, but, you know, we're, we're here, we're doing things. Some people are doing creative things like, you know, they're doing their um, live streams of them drawing comics. Yeah. It would not, not be exciting to do a live stream of someone writing. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I think if you talk about your process, I think it might not be that, you know, that weird. Or if you're doing if you're doing dialoguing, I think that that might actually be kind of cool. Yeah, my if it was like workshopped, you know, that that would be different because like once you're in the zone, you're like, you know, you're kind of like a zombie. You're not. Yeah, no one no one can touch you. Okay. Um. So let people know where they can find you. Um, they can find me on Twitter, Erica Schultz 42 and on Instagram, Erica Schultz writes W R I T E S. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. And good luck with uh, the legacy of the Mandrake and forgotten home. Thank, thank you, you so for much. Your time. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and you can support the show at patreon.com slash Amber unmasked and go to Amber for everything else, including the weekly cat detective stories. So have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.